0: Hey, y'all. How's everyone doing? still alive. It's a heartbeat. That's good. Uh, hey, my name's Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here, Campus Pastors, that gets to serve you all here at CCF, if you haven't met. And I have the privilege of kicking off our new uh, sermon series um, that's going to be preparing us for Easter. Um, we've just got out a ser- series called Living Sacrifices, um, and now we're going to look at uh, the ultimate living sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross. Um, and if you just kind of grew up in our culture, you may not know that Easter is a little bit more than about bunnies and multicolored eggs. Um, it includes a rich like multi-month season of preparation called Lent in the Christian um, tradition, leading up to Good Friday. Um, that represents Jesus' death on the cross. And then at the accumulation of this comes Easter Sunday, um, in which Christians celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Um, after his death. is this still ring in? Is that just me? Still ringing. We're good? I'm back here. Um, hmm. Do I go up, back, around? They'll take care of it. We're good. Okay, so I think, though, that often we just kind of like walk into the party at Easter, um, right at the resurrection, and celebrate uh, Jesus' victory and power over death. Um, but I think it's first important to Uh, consider Jesus' journey leading him to the empty grave. Okay, So I think we need to start with the dark backdrop that the resurrection comes out of and brings light to. Um, I think in order to see the fullness of God, we need to understand the crucifixion. So this series, therefore, is titled Christ Crucified. And it will look at the crucifixion and see uh, the cross of Christ and what it means for us. I want to start, though, um, with a trigger warning. Our sermon today will start in a dark place, a really dark place, Sorry, because that's where we always start out with sin. The crucifixion is centered right there around the ugly realities of the human experience, injustice. Hatred, betrayal, exploitation, harassment, assault, nationalism, religious bigotry, racism, suffering, every kind of evil. So it might be hard to hear some of these things, and it's okay to check out. But I want us to acknowledge that we're entering into a dark place. Okay? Y'all willing to go there with me? Okay. Because I've been... Going through this for the last couple of weeks as I prepare for a sermon. So I appreciate you going on the journey with me. Um, Fortunately, though, the good news is that Jesus came into the world to overcome and ultimately bring an end to all these things. So we don't have to stay in this dark place, all right? We're going to get there and we're going to get through that tonight. But he had to experience and endure through these awful realities. Firsthand, in order to reveal the Father's heart for us and rescue humanity, literally from the pits of hell. That is what will bring us to the cross. Now, in today's 21st century American Christian culture, I think the cross has become a normalized, almost cutesy symbol, like an icon. You get, like, cross art on your wall. People sell it in the Christian bookstore. Not that it's any of those things, but it's, like, really nice. But I think this could hardly be further from the reality of what the cross was. The cross was a shameful, fear-filled instrument of torture. It was an instrument of oppression in the first century. So I want us to look instead at the crucifix, which is the cross with Jesus on it. I hope in doing so we will realize the significance of this horrific tool that God used to bring us deliverance. So there's the crucifix. Right there, Jesus hanging on the cross. That's the image I want us to imagine right now, least we normalize and sanitize the cross of Christ. Now, when I thought about the crucifix in preparation for my sermon the last couple weeks, to my surprise, another image flooded into my mind. Images and realities burned into my memory almost nine years ago, when I first came to Western, and I did a project for my African Ameri- um, American Studies 204 class called the African American Experience. The project was titled, Why I Got Lynched. Now, you might be able to imagine how, as an African American man, this project was a little bit tra- traumatizing, traumatizing. sorry. Um, as I literally, for weeks, spent time researching, studying, writing, compiling pictures and reports on the history of lynching in the United States and the alleged reports and accounts of why people were lynched. I wrote a paper. You can ask me for it if you want. I won't go into the details of the hundreds of different cases and how horrific they were. But what I realized was that some of the most unimaginably awfully horrific, pointless, basis, baseless acts of violence in this country were committed by mobs against innocent people. And the main offenses of these victims, really, were how they were identified and how they broke outside the social norms and prejudices of the day. And I want to say clearly, like, that I'm not trying to downplay the unique histories, narratives, and implications of lynching by making us uh, some parallel right now to the cross. I'm not saying these horrific acts are the same, or that they should be viewed only in light of one another, but I would like to make the parallel. Namely that Christ was crucified because how he identified. He didn't fall in line with established prejudices and social norms of the day. So he was subjected to horrific violence, public torture, and death by the hands of an unrestricted angry mob, who were executing their judgment on someone they simply didn't like. Both apparatuses, the cross and the noose, were tools of torture, meant to execute a victim slowly, painfully, while exposing them to public humiliation and shame and the ultimate degradation possible to man. Victims were often stripped of their clothes, beaten, mutilated, and hung up in an open place for all to see, Mocked, jeered, and taunted by a crowd of onlookers for a crime they never did or were grossly misidentified for and overpunished for. So I want, uh, I want to contextualize this a little bit because I don't think it's a stretch um, to think of Jesus' first century crucifixion and put it into 20th century form by imagining him being lynch-mobbed. Mob-lynch, sorry. Because I want, I want the same senses, the same feelings of indignation, the same sense of revulsion, disgust, agony, cries of injustice, indignation, feelings of how could this be apply. Because that's what it applied in the first century to those that were watching, to those that cared, that those who knew who Jesus was. So if it helps you to get into the story of the crucifixion, I want you to think of it this way. Jesus was lynched on a tree. Now, I want us to consider, in the midst of this experience, as Jesus hung on the cross, gasping for breaths of life, as he was slowly dying from painful asphyxiation, because that's how he died on the cross. He literally suffocated to death. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Surrounded by a mob that is literally jeering and mocking him, In the moment, soldiers guarding him and executing him, criminals questioning him. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Seriously? Jesus, what are you going to say with some of your last words? Forgive? So that's what I want us to focus on tonight. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. The scandalous, remarkable, undeserved forgiveness that Jesus offers us and demonstrated on the cross. I want us to understand forgiveness and how Jesus can offer it. I want us to understand how the statement on the cross is not at all a trite or simple or casual saying. It's not a simple, trite, or casual saying, it's a seriously costly affair is an outrageously gracious ordeal. It's not something we should ever expect to hear from a man being lynched. Nor is it something we should expect to receive. It's only something God could offer, would offer, and does offer against all odds. So tonight, I want us to stare into the face of God, Jesus, the bloodied man, who had just endured Beatings and hours of exposure under the hot sun with no shade, no water, no food. He is suffering, hanging there, literally suffocating. His face is bruised from beatings, his mouth parched with sweat and blood dripping in it from the crown of thorns on his head. Now, think of him in this moment. In this moment, I don't think people would want to waste their words. In fact, if you were here in that moment, I don't think you'd want to say anything. Let's be honest. It'd be so hard and exhausting just to speak. Only involuntary grunts and grimacing screams of pain are maybe appropriate sounds at this time. Not treaties of comfort to others. Have you ever thought about this? It's okay if you haven't, because I haven't thought about this before I wrote the sermon. But the fact that Jesus says anything on the cross is incomprehensible. And what he says here should be incomprehensible to us. It made me think of when I got my wisdom teeth out. Has anyone got their wisdom teeth out? Yeah, oh, mercy on you all. (laughs) It wasn't great. But um, I assure you, it was a much less painful experience than crucifixion. But I know that for days afterwards, and especially during the procedure, I wasn't saying much of anything at all. It simply hurt too much to speak. I wasn't even going to open my mouth to to ask for things I needed. So imagine Jesus is there, literally exposed, beaten, had been tortured, humiliated, he's bleeding, he has nails in him, he's on this cross as a result of completely unjust, inhumane actions of the mob that surrounds him. And he opens his mouth to pray for them. With some of his last limited, laborious breaths, while his body is aching in pain, he opens his mouth and prays. And not a prayer of vindiction and wrath, mind you. Not that the Father would crush these people or bring in legions of angels to annihilate humanity for their gross offense against God. No. Jesus simply, powerfully, looks beyond his suffering estate to see the angry, broken, demonically inspired, spiritually enslaved people that surround him. And he prays mercy on their pitiful souls. Tonight, I want us to sit in awe, to wonder, to appreciate what this means for us. I want us to understand how significant the cross is for forgiveness. For the forgiveness of our sins. So first, I want to look Um, at the cross as a sign of the severity of our sins. The cross as a sign of the severity of our sins. I want to argue that the cross is the epicenter in the scriptures of the accumulation of human evil. It displays ultimate betrayal, rejection, mistrust, and abuse of God by society. It reveals the depths of human jealousy, anger, hatred, deception, violence, violence, Prejudice, the abuse of power, and injustice. Just think of it. Think of the extent of false testimony at Jesus' trials. The intimate betrayal of Jesus by one of his own. The outright rejection of the Jews of their Messiah. The furious anger of the chanting crowd yelling, Crucify Him, crucify him. The jealousy and prejudice of the religious leaders the cruel violence of the soldiers, the gross abuse of power of Herod and Pilate who condemned who they knew was an innocent man, the pervasive mistrust of the disciples as they abandoned their leader in fear. Now think of your life. If you're a human like me, you might be able to think of some ways that those sins have shown up in your life as well. Or maybe that that you've been affected by those things from others. So at the cross, we see the accumulation of sin and its exposition. We see how truly ugly, awful, and offensive it is. We see the grave consequence of our thoughts and actions brought to light for what they really are. An offense against God himself. Sin is utter darkness. And at the cross, we see that there was darkness over the whole land, Until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. As sin in its fullness is put on display with Jesus there, there was utter darkness. That's what it's like in sin, isn't it? It's dark. Secondly, I want us to think of the cross as a sign that God is willing to forgive us, even at our worst. I want us to think the cross is a sign that God is willing to forgive us, even at our worst. Simply by being on the cross, Jesus is saying, I'm willing to forgive you. No one forced him to be there. We see how the Mount of Olives, before his betrayal, he's wrestling with this whole project and he asks the Father if he would take away this cup of suffering that was to come. However, Jesus says to the Father, through sweat, blood, and tears, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He subjects himself. And his will to see forgiveness and salvation come for all of us. As he later hangs on the cross, in full awareness of the choice he made, he knows that he's facing this real evil around him. But he, he stays there, and he's still willing to forgive us. Think of it. Jesus easily could have called over 40,000 angels to rescue him. He even says this during his arrest in Matthew 26. You can look it up. But he doesn't. Instead, he prays to the Father that humanity would be forgiven for their sins. And I wonder if we really think that God is willing to forgive us, even at our worst moments, even in our worst sins. Maybe there's something that you're like, ah, that's really bad. Or that's really fresh. I don't know if I can ask God for forgiveness yet. But perhaps we need to remember what Paul wrote in Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of the worst sin, while these people were still sinning, while we were sinning, everyone's in sin, Christ died for us. Not for the good version of us. He died for the sinner. Third, I want us to think of the cross as a sign that Jesus can forgive us of all our sins wants to see it as a sign that Christ can forgive us for all our sins. I think the fact that that Jesus is able to lay down his life after this prayer and then three days later take it back up is hard evidence that he had the authority to forgive sin in accordance with the Father. You see, God has spoken audibly to Jesus a couple times that are recorded in Scripture for everyone to hear. He spoke things like, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So, my argument is that the father certainly could have audibly responded to Jesus' prayer in that moment. He could have said, no, this is my son whom I love. I will not let this happen. He could have chosen to deny Jesus' request, save his life, and bring down the hammer of wrath to everyone down there. But we don't see this at all, do we? We don't see the authority of Jesus to forgive sins disputed here. In fact, the only time that we really see, or one of the times we see Jesus' authority to forgive sins disputed is by the Pharisees. They contested his ability to forgive sins one time before when he healed a paralytic guy. They said, who is this who blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus, after telling the paralytic man that his sins are forgiven, says, hmm, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then tells the guy, rise up and walk. And he does. Have you ever thought that maybe this example was meant to be a self-fulfilling prophecy? Three days after the crucifixion, Jesus' body was laid motionless in a tomb, completely paralyzed by death but he rose up and walked out. And in doing so, God indisputably validated the authority that Jesus had. He could say sins were forgiven and it would actually be so. You can give an amen. It's okay. I come from like a historically black church. People are talking in the service. It's all right. Okay. You ready to go on? Okay. I like the response. There we go. So next I want to assert that the cross is a sign that justice is pending and will be served. The cross is a sign that justice is pending and it will be served. What do I mean here? I mean that Jesus says something interesting in Luke 23, before his crucifixion, that I think we like to overlook. Cassie read the whole account so you have the context. And I think this is it's packed with multiple levels, Okay but I'd like to just explore one, one angle of this. As Jesus is heading uh, to the crucifixion site, a great crowd is, is looking on, and there's women in the crowd that are, that are mourning for him. It's actually women and men that are mourning, but just the women are dressed for some reason. And so he says to them this. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the bearing.'" and the wounds that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. I know this seems like way out in left field, okay? It's almost comical, except it's actually really insightful and sobering, so stay with me for a moment, I'll explain. You see, as the crowds look at Jesus being led to be tortured and killed on a hill, they have pity on him, and they think, oh man, he's getting the worse," And they just stand comfortably and safely by However, what Jesus is saying is that they aren't safe. In the nearest context, he's actually warning them that the temple will be toppled and Jerusalem will be destroyed in just a couple decades, AD 70. And that's because of Israel's rebellion against God. History attests that that happened. But really, in essence, though, he's speaking at a much broader spiritual context. He's saying that justice will be served. For those who don't turn to him and acknowledge his sacrifice for them, they will have to reckon with far worse than they see now. However, those who do turn to him will see justice served another way, on the crucified Christ. Now this is meant to be a sobering reality, but also a relieving one. Justice for sins will be executed. When you look at the world and you see awful things and grievous sins happen, Justice will be executed. That's good news. And we can praise God that we have Christ who has taken all this sin on the cross. So fortunately for those of us who will let him, Jesus will stand in our place for us. He will be the one receiving justice. As Paul writes in Romans 5, 9, he says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? I wonder if we acknowledge how just will be served one way or another. It will be served on Christ, on the cross for us, or will be served against us by Christ one day if we reject him. I want to wrap up by saying that the cross is a sign that we can always turn to God. Cross is a sign that we can always turn to God. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes. The beauty of forgiveness that Jesus offers is that it's for every type of person, available at any moment, without any prerequisites or conditions, except that we would acknowledge Jesus and turn to Him as our only hope for mercy and life. We see this on the cross as well. It's right there, it's all in the story. Matthew tells us a little bit of a different account than what we read in Luke. And he says that there were two criminals who were crucified alongside Jesus. That's the same in Luke. But he says the different part is that they both reveled Jesus. They both mocked him, just like the crowds around him. They taunted him and questioned why he couldn't save himself. Okay? Yet, late in the game, after taunting Jesus for a while, one finally comes to his senses one of the criminals there realizes who Jesus is. He changes his heart posture and his attitude. We see this in how he rebukes the other criminal who's still at this time like throwing insults and questioning Jesus. He says, Do you not fear God, since you are in the same instance of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving our due reward for our deeds. But this man... He has done nothing wrong. After this confession, this sinner, in faith, asks Jesus to have mercy on him and asked if he can be with him. It's pretty bold. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Please, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, how Jesus responds should be truly astonishing. He says, Is he still suffocating there? Is he still dying? Truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. What a striking example of Jesus' willingness to forgive even those who were against him just minutes before. We see here that Jesus forgives even those whose lives have been characterized by real evil. I mean, let's be honest. This guy wasn't like Jesus on the cross, this guy was actually an actual criminal, like felon status. He was known as a bad dude, and he was there being legitimately punished for how bad he was. He says so himself. Okay, he was likely a murderer. Likely was part of maybe a resurrection uh, insurrection. Sorry, um, <laughs> Jesus was a resurrection guy. Other guy insurrection. <laughs> Got to get the right words right. Insurrection, resurrection. Okay, we got it. Um, so this guy is not like the best dude. And he has just been mocking Jesus to his face next to him. And he has this epiphany. He has this change of heart. And he talks with Jesus. He realizes that. And Jesus is like, yeah, I forgive you. Come into the kingdom with me today. Wow without any chances to make it up, without any chances to make things right, without any good Sunday school attendance, nothing, this guy is completely forgiven and begins to experience a changed life forever in peace with God. Ooh, that's good. That's all right, you can get an amen there. Thank you, Sam. Um, And that's true for all of us. All we need to do is come face to face with Jesus on the cross. To make a simple acknowledgement of who Jesus is, a confession of our wrongdoing, and humbly request Jesus' mercy and undeserved favor. That's all this guy did. And Jesus was so ready to forgive him. It's like he was waiting for it. It's like he's like, it's hard to breathe. I'm kind of dying right now. My body's in pain. I've been tortured. But I'm going to hang on a little longer because maybe this guy will still turn to me. Maybe this guy will still repent. And he does, and he takes him home. He takes him to the Father. It's absolutely amazing. It's almost unbelievable, but it's so true. And just as true as it was for him then, it's true for you and it's true for me now. So I want to conclude By saying, forgiveness is available for all of us, always, with no special circumstances, as conditions or circumstances, except that we come face to face with Jesus on the cross. Then we get to see him for who he is. We get to turn to him. We get to accept his mercy. He has already prayed for us. He's already stretched out his arms for us. Injured wrath for us laid down his life for us. And gotten raised up to prove that he is for us, that he will forgive us, that he loves us. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up as they come. Um, yeah, we're just going to kind of center in on this a little bit. I think maybe this was just possibly what some of you needed to hear tonight. You just need to hear this. Maybe you've been sinning and you don't think Jesus can or that he wants to forgive you. Maybe you think you have to do a bunch and be good enough and kind of like get to this certain place before you can really come before God. Or maybe you've really never understood forgiveness and for the first time the lights are turning on and you're like, whoa, I get this about God. I want this. I want to experience this reality. Or maybe you have experienced the reality of of God's forgiveness in your life and you're so grateful and you're just reminded tonight of how awesome he is, how rich is his love, how much he's forgiven us, how serious is our sin and you just want to praise and celebrate that reality of all he's done for you. So I'm going to pray in a minute and we're going to celebrate God's lavish forgiveness in song. And I want to invite you all to joylessly worship him, pray to him, grab a friend or a pastor, and process uh, with them about him. Do whatever you need to do tonight to be caught up in the awesome reality of Jesus' forgiveness. For the real cross of Christ takes sin seriously and offers us forgiveness for free. So let's wonder at it. Let's be in awe of it. Let's worship Jesus for this. Let's praise God as we celebrate the forgiveness that Christ has offered us on the cross. Amen? Amen. 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 Father God, we just praise you. We thank you so much for your lavish love, God, for your incomprehensible forgiveness that you offer us because of the cross. Jesus, we thank you for your suffering, God, and that your suffering was not without purpose. Lord God, it was redemptive. It was restorative. It was to make a way for us to experience freedom, forgiveness, and life in peace with you, God. We thank you that you are a just God and that you execute judgment, but that you don't want, Lord God, to to bring it on us, that you'd rather bring it on yourself. And we praise you for that, God. Lord, we want to appropriate that. Lord, we want to recognize that. We want to praise you for that. And so we pray by your spirit, Lord God, that you would move our hearts, Lord God, to be in a place where we can acknowledge you, that we can worship you, that we can praise you for the forgiveness that's been exhibited uh, and made possible through the cross. Um, Lord God, bless your people tonight, Lord God. Um, If there are some, Lord God, that are struggling, Lord God, with with forgiving themselves, with with acknowledging your forgiveness for them, um, with forgiving others, Lord God, um, would you help them tonight, Father? Um, And Lord God, would we be caught up in this incredible mystery, this awesome wonder of your love? tonight as we sing and as we close the night. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.